Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Hebrews chapter 10. Bible says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he, somebody say he, God is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke. We've got that part down pat. Unto love and to good works. One of Bishop's favorite verses. I know it's not Ephesians, but it ranks up there. Not, everybody say not. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That means it's important. As the manner of some is. But exhorting one another. But telling one another, I missed you the other night. But exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. I believe the day of the Lord is at hand. Church is important. I want to teach for a little bit this morning, if the Lord will help me, on this subject. The shadow of things to come. The shadow of things to come. Let's, let's just ask the Lord to help us this morning. Mighty God in Christ, I love you. I'm thankful, Lord, for your loving kindness. Thankful, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thankful, God, that your mercies are new every morning. I ask you, God, to help me to say what you would want to be said this morning, not to add to it, not to take away from it. Your word is alive. Your word is anointed. Now anoint these lips of clay with the eternal word and voice of God to uplift and strengthen this people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I will thank you for it. And we'll give you the praise. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. Before you're seated this morning, look at somebody and smile at them real big. You don't have to say anything, just smile. You can be seated. God is good. Surely, He's good all the time. The book of Exodus chapter 20, in verse number 2, reads, I am the Lord thy God. Now you're going to wonder here in a moment where we're going to tie all this to Hebrews and hopefully when we close this up today, you'll, you'll see that. But Exodus 20 and 2 says, I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And with that, God gave them the Ten Commandments. 
Ten Commandments are surrounded by 3,500 laws scattered throughout the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then there's one more law that surrounds all of that that is called the law of spiritual authority. The law of spiritual authority is not too awfully profound. It just simply means that God has given us someone in our life to keep the laws of God intact for our walk with God. If we were left to our own devices today, it is probable that the majority of us, if we did not have someone telling us week in and week out how to be saved, how to stay saved. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand this morning getting saved is the easy part. All it takes is surrender. Staying saved is what struggles with our flesh. Uh, if we did not have someone uh, you know, poking the bear every once in a while. Some of you understand what that means. If we didn't have someone with an anointing getting in our face every once in a while telling us that we're wrong, it is possible, maybe probable, that the majority of us would not be here. Because God established a law of spiritual authority simply because... Left to our own devices, God saw through the creation of, his, of, of mankind and His intentions from the beginning were never going to be. We needed something that would bridge the gap between us and God. Because man, mankind, had proven from the inception of Adam and Eve that they were not going to follow God left to their own. There was a few, and they're the ones that we read about. And so God took those men and took those ladies and those families, and He began to cultivate a family of God called the Israelites. And, and through all of this, the laws of God that were established in Old Testament time required and demanded a standard of perfection. Now, if you would rather have 3,500 unique laws to remember and only get repentance once a year, then, then I, 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 I won't shake your hand after church because you've got something I don't have. Old Testament times, they had numerous laws, thousands of laws, and it demanded perfection. A, a person would have to be perfect in order to keep the laws and never break them. But the reason God gave those laws was to show us as mankind just exactly how far off the mark we really are. And how much we need God in our life. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law revealed to us simply that we are lost without Jesus Christ. 
And one of the things that I have set out on an endeavor to do this morning is to connect the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Because I, I, I fear that we oftentimes feel that they are disconnected. I, I fear, Bishop, that we often read them as two different Bibles just put in the same spine together. And it's just simply an old promise and a new promise. But you're going to see within the old promise a lot of shadows to the new promise. And all that does this morning is excite this person because that tells me 2,000 years before the Holy Ghost ever came that God was thinking about our grace. That tells me that, that while, while Gentiles were not even a people, God was thinking about how he was going to take his covenant promise from his own family to people that didn't even deserve it. So the law, somebody saying, thank God for grace. We must have the grace of Christ ruling our hearts and our lives. And all of this represents in the Old Testament a type and shadow of what God was about to do. A type and a shadow. There are many types and shadows in the Old Testament. And it just simply means a type or shadow is simply an Old Testament example of a New Testament truth. So for the, for the folks that believe only in the New Testament, they're, they're, missing, they're missing the foreshadowing of the promise. And for the folks that only believe in the, New, in the Old Testament, they're missing the promise revealed. Because they are both connected. So the tabernacle represents the Old Testament plan of salvation. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt... They did not come out empty-handed. God instructed them in Exodus 11 and 2, Speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. The timing of this particular request had came after God had sent nine plagues upon the nation of Egypt. The nation had been stripped and beaten and punished by the judgments of Almighty God. So now at this point, you know, we know that there were ten plagues. The, the, the Egyptians perhaps did not know a tenth was forthcoming, but they knew that there had been nine already, and that scared the daylights out of them. I think the only one that wasn't smart enough to get it was Pharaoh. So they've been beaten, they've had frogs, they've had lice, that make you comfortable? They've had locusts. They've had, they've had the water turn to blood. They've had all these things take place in their lives. So now you, you, you get a mental picture this morning. You get an Israelite walking up to their door and saying, Hey, can I have some of your gold? Take it. Get out of here. I don't want any more frogs back. I just got the last one out of my oven. Take it. Go. Silver, gold. They just began to unfold it. So the Israelites left Egypt rich. They went in poor, they left wealthy. So now God calls for an offering. Somebody say, Woo! And God only wants to receive an offering from those who give it with a willing heart. As a matter of fact, 
he doesn't even accept an offering from the grudging heart. Exodus 25 and verse number 1 begins, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly. With his heart ye shall take my offering. This is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and sheetam wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing, and for sweet incense. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary. Somebody say sanctuary. Let them make me a church that I may dwell among them. I would agree this morning that you can feel God at home. How many has ever felt God at home? But you cannot receive some things at home. You cannot develop your spiritual education because at home you don't receive teaching. At home you don't receive preaching. At home you don't have an opportunity to get into an atmosphere where God is there. Yet you may feel Him, but Jesus Himself said where two or three are. So while you may feel God at home, Home is not your church. God established an absolute dwelling place that He said, I'll meet you there. So God wanted the Israelites to come out of their tent. Sanctuary means a holy place. Consecrated, sanctified, separated. It was to be set apart as a holy place where only anointed holy things and people were allowed to enter. Then in verse number 9, God says to Moses, According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Moses was instructed to make the sanctuary exactly like God showed it to him. Exactly. Once you stepped inside the front entrance of the tabernacle, you would be standing in the outer court. Now, I'm not deep diving into the tabernacle. We're going to paint with a broad brush this morning. But once inside, the very first piece of furniture directly in front of you was the altar of sacrifice. It was a place of death. It was not an attractive place. Uh, blood splatter all over the place. And I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. I'll not get any more graphic than that. But it was a place... Of death, it was a place of sacrifice. But what I want you to understand about the altar of sacrifice is that out of all the pieces of furniture in the entire tabernacle, the altar of sacrifice was the largest piece of furniture in their entire worship experience. And the implication there, ladies and gentlemen, for us in 2013 is do not ever underestimate the power of repentance in your life. When you can take all the other things and add them up together and fit them inside the altar of sacrifice, that tells me having the Holy Ghost is not enough. 
That tells me being baptized in Jesus' name is only good for me if I know to return to my altar of sacrifice and get my sins cleansed. <clears throat> so it's sinful man's attempt to get back into the presence of a holy God. The very first step was death. Not death of the person, but death of a sacrifice. Something had to die. Something had to shed its blood. So this part of man's worship experience must be the largest part of his life. What that means for us in this modern day era, perhaps maybe even more so than then, is that what it's going to take for you to sacrifice may be greater I never heard anybody say serving God would be easy. But anybody who's ever made the trip, Pastor, I've always heard him say, it's worth it. But this is one thing we need to get in our, our, our thinking this morning, and we need to understand it really hard, and we need to hold on to it really firm, and that is life in itself is not easy. So to declare that serving God is not easy is really a moot point because whether you serve God or whether you don't, life doesn't get any easier. But what serving God does do is it gives me, uh, it gives me an authority, it gives me a, a wisdom, it gives me a knowledge, it gives me a power to know that when I can't make it on my own, that there's somebody got, that they've got invisible steps right in front of me. That, that if, if God is letting me go through this, then that means I don't see all the things that he's kept me from. What it does mean is that when I'm Holy Ghost filled and it seems all hell is broke loose in my life, that God is still in control of my steps. So don't ever let Satan deceive you by telling you that serving God is not easy. Because all it is is a trick. Life is not easy. The pain that you walked in this morning with, you would have with or without God. The headaches you have on church night, you might have with or without God. Amen. So we can't blame that on our relationship with God. The second piece of furniture, I've got to move on or I'm never going to get done. The second piece of furniture directly behind the altar of sacrifice was the labor. Exodus 30 and verse 20. This is the second step in man's sinful approach back to God or sinful man's approach back to God. Exodus 30 and 20 says, When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with the water. This is important. That they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to burnt offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. If they don't wash, they die. 
let me say that again because I just I want to slow down enough that it sinks in. If they don't wash, they die. They stop breathing. Life ceases. Now, we're not talking about the goat sacrifice now. We're talking about the person who's proceeded to the second step. Brother Terry McGee, if they walk past that second step and don't wash, they die. If they don't use... The, this is the only part that has the stipulation that if you neglect it, you die. So it's important for us to understand the necessity of baptism. Because essentially, and I, I don't want to get off on too big of a tangent here, but it's worth saying, essentially, if you repent, you've, you've still got dirty death all over you. If our spiritual eyes could be opened this morning, if you repent and are not washed, it is no different than you going out here laying in a mud puddle, wallowing around in the mud like an old hog, and getting up and letting the mud dry on you, and walking around and saying, man, I'm sorry I got in that mud puddle. You're sorry, but you're still dirty. Are you following me this morning? It's possible to repent and still be dirty. That's why we take the second step and are baptized in Jesus' name. For the Bible declares that it is the name that is for the remission of sins. So it's the cleansing. And you know, the Apostle Paul even wrote that when we go down in the watery grave of baptism, Old Testament, New Testament coming together right here. When we go down in the watery grave of baptism and come up in newness of life. You're clean. That death has been washed off. You're a new creature. The sins of yesterday are now giving way to the promises of tomorrow. I don't have to make those same mistakes. Moving right along, thirdly in the tabernacle, once you step into the closed tent structure, it was called the inner court or the holy place. Once inside, immediately to the left, you saw the candlestick. Candlestick had a total of seven lamps on it. It was the only light source in the inner court. And it was powered by oil. So somebody had to refill it. John 8 and 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Opposite the candlestick on the right side of the inner court was the table of showbread. The bread was to be kept fresh at all times on this table. And I, I'm, I'm not a cook, I'm not a chef, I'm not a culinary specialist or artist, don't pretend to be. Uh, but I, I have discovered that if you leave bread out very long, it gets stale. Pretty basic, I think. But it, once it has air exposure, it don't stay fresh very long. Somebody's keeping it fresh. Jesus said in John 6:51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. In John 1:14, the Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 6, 53 says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, 
That's the bread. And drink his blood. You have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now we progress through the tabernacle and standing up against a thick curtain called the veil. It covered the entire opening. I, I've heard some speculate. I, I don't pretend to be uh, you know, a master of the tabernacle subject. Uh, it, it's a subject that's deep and uh, would take years of study to understand all of the intricacies of it. I've, I've heard speculation that the veil could have been upwards of four to six feet thick. And that, that's a veil. And if that was the case, just imagine the veil splitting at Calvary. Perhaps that's why that was such a big deal. Because we're not talking about a curtain, you just go pull it down. We're talking about something that no man could remove. Perhaps. Standing there was the veil and it was covering the holy of holies. In there was the Ark of the Covenant. In there only the high priest could go. This is where it gets interesting. The high priest could go in there and he could go in there once a year. He'd bring with him the blood of the Lamb to offer up to God for the sins of the entire nation of Israel for another year. piece of furniture inside the holiest of all, or the Holy of Holies, was the most sacred piece of furniture of all. It was a box. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. That box represented the Spirit of God. This is where man met God. I'm trying to paint a picture for you this morning. Because I want to give you a contrast between what your uh, predecessors, family of God, went through to get into the presence of God. They had to depend on somebody else. I, I get a vision in my, my mind of them standing outside. I, I can't tell you that that's right or wrong, but... It, in my own imagination, I get a vision in my head of them standing outside waiting on him to come back out. I get a vision of them making sure that they can still hear the bells ringing. Somebody's probably, Brother Freddie, got the rope in their hand just in case. But, but they're, they're, they're praying to Jehovah that, that the bells keep ringing and they get forgiveness. Because they're dependent on one man to get into the presence of God for them. Now, there's a couple of things to draw from that. We are also dependent on people, ministry, to get into the presence of God for us. But, but unsimilar to them, we also have access to the high priest. That when we come into this house of worship, a sanctuary, a dwelling place, a separated place. It's not like my living room. It's a place that's sacred where that I can get into the presence of Almighty God and God can meet me there. Oh, I'm glad we can meet God here. What a tragedy it would be to come to God's house and leave and not have felt Him. Whew. So 
Man had communion with God at the tabernacle. This is where they were at one with God. So Moses instructed the people to make the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 40 and verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. God had established a calendar for his people that coincided with the timing of when they came out of Egyptian bondage. The day they came out of bondage was, if you will this morning, to be similar to their January 1st. That was the first day of the year for them. Now God says, On the first day of the first month thou shalt set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. Verse number 16 of the same chapter says, Thus did Moses, according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. And it came to... Remember here, just a little 10 second commercial, okay? Moses was the man that said he couldn't. From here on out, I want you to remember that. Moses was the man that said, Lord, you've got the wrong guy. I'm slow of speech. I'm dumb. I'm illiterate. I can't do it. Moses was that man. Moses wasn't a seventh generation preacher. All right? Moses was the man, like some of you this morning, that are sitting here thinking that you have no place in God and that there's nothing for you to do for God. And why would God ever call you? So, listen up, Moses. Thus did Moses, all right, he did it. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, verse 17, that the tabernacle was reared up. They set up the tabernacle exactly one year after they came out of bondage, to the very day. And as soon as they set it up, they anointed all the tabernacle, they anointed all the furniture, they anointed every piece in it with oil. Once they had set up the tabernacle, they anointed it all. Verse 34 says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Can you imagine coming to church and God's presence being so thick you can't even walk in the door? And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in their journeys. In other words, when the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stayed still, they parked it right there and they stayed. All right? But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. Verse 38, For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The glory cloud. The expressed representation of the presence of God. When it moved, they moved. It's worth noting this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that when you are seeking direction in your life, when God begins to move, you need to follow. But if God hasn't moved in that direction, you need to stand still. Well, let's move on. God knows how to take care of His people. Desert heat, sun 
bearing down. No, no oak trees. No, no foliage to protect. I've actually had the opportunity to see that with my own eyes. There was a whole lot I didn't see, but uh, there, there's no shade trees. Palm trees don't give much shade. You stand there long enough, you're going to get cracked on the head with something. Nothing but desert sun baking them. So what's God's presence do? He forms as a cloud. He just hovers over them. Oh, Spirit of the Lord, just hover over us a little longer. And when it gets nighttime, because one interesting dynamic about deserts, they're often cold at night. Again, because there's nothing to hold the heat in. So once the sun's gone, it's, it's cold. Dangerously cold. So what's he do? That cloud turns into fire. And he, he's just a little mobile furnace. That was the first furnace on wheels. He was a little mobile furnace where God's keeping his people warm. What's he doing? He's taking care of his own. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care how much you bake under the sun of life and how much things keep, seem to be coming down on you. If you will stay faithful to God, God takes care of his own. <clears throat> so the glory cloud is what led them through the wilderness and back to the promised land. Yes, they made mistakes along the way. We're not going to get into that this morning. But the tabernacle served to the people as a place where they could come to and be re reunited with God. Sin separated them from God the same as sin separates us from God. Sin is the ultimate separator. And this tabernacle is where God showed man how he could get his sins washed away. Now let's see what that exactly means to us because again, we're on this endeavor this morning to tie the Old Testament to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 1 says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum or the total. We have such an high priest, that's Jesus Christ, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. God pitched a tabernacle. It's quite possible that God pitched a tabernacle based on this scripture. The Bible says a true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched. God had told Moses to build the one for Israel. God just didn't say poof and it was there. But he told Moses to build it off of the pattern. The pattern which he would show him. Now verse number 5 of that same chapter 8 in Hebrews says, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Now, I, I don't pretend to know exactly how God showed it to him. But he's talking about shadows. And he's talking about seeing the patterns. Uh, a shadow is simply an image that's cast on the ground by an actual body that's intercepting light. Anybody ever done shadow boxing? I'll call them on, guys. There's not any other guys in here that's ever tried to shadow box. But Josh Johnson, I know you have. Did you win? Okay, I'm just checking. 
A shadow. The physical body is intercepting light. And it casts a shadow. So I'm just crazy enough to believe the Word of God as it's written that God up in heaven has made, He's, he's cast a tabernacle. And the light of heaven is casting on that actual physical body. It's almost like a hologram. Everybody know what a hologram is? And, and here, I, I get this idea in my head that Moses is standing there and God's saying, all right, you're in the mount. I'm going to show you the pattern. And here comes a three-dimensional heavenly hologram without technology. And God's showing him the shadow of the tabernacle. Now that's the kind of God that we still serve. He hasn't changed. And if he's able to show Moses that, a man walking with God without baptism in Jesus' name, a man walking with God without the infilling of the Holy Ghost, a man walking with God who doesn't have Wednesday night Bible study. Wasn't raised in Sunday school about David and Goliath. He didn't have the Sunday school stories to lean back on. All he knew was is that God spoke and he listened. Well, hallelujah. So... It's important this morning to know that if God can show Moses that, what is it that you think God can show you? Who are baptized in Jesus' name, who are filled with the Holy Ghost, who do have direct access to the Holy of Holies. You don't have to wait on any man to get forgiveness for you. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You don't have to wait on anybody. You've got direct access. How much more should we believe today that God can speak to us concerning the things of God? I respect my predecessors. I, I, I look at the writings of Moses and I have great awe and admiration, but I've got to also understand I've got something living inside of me every day that he could only dream about. So, Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm, I'm trying to hasten on. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 8 says, The Holy Ghost. Somebody shout, The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. This signifying. This means God is showing us that the way to the holiest of all, that was the last chamber in the, in the tabernacle, was not yet made manifest. It wasn't revealed. While... First tabernacle, that's Moses, was yet standing. Which was a figure for the time then present. It was a shadow. In which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. With the earthly tabernacle, when they came to get their sins atoned for and amended, earthly tabernacle was not a permanent fix it was only temporary it had to be done every year and I'm sorry this morning yearly is simply not enough 
as written in Hebrews 9, verses 8 through 9. It was pointing them to the one that would one day remove sins permanently. It's connecting. Hebrews 9 and 24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the earthly tabernacle. The whole reason, now, now this is what I want to get to, the whole reason the earthly tabernacle was ever given to man to begin with was to lead man to Jesus Christ. 2,000 something odd. <laughs> That's how you say it when you don't know the exact number, right? 2,000 something odd years before Jesus was ever born. Hebrews 10 and 1 says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make comers there unto perfect. In other words, the law was just a shadow. The performance of the law was not good enough. Verse number 10 says, By the which we will, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So let's look at the work of salvation. 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 says, if you don't get anything else this morning, you get scripture. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye have received, and wherein you stand. Now if I could translate that this morning, he's just simply saying, I want to remind you of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We often talk about us needing to be reminded. They had to be reminded too. We're human. We're flesh. Verse 2. By which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you. You're, you're saved if you retain in memory what you hear preached. Unless you have believed in vain. The gospel of Christ is what saves you from your sins. The gospel is good news of salvation. It's made up of three points. Verse number three. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. This is Paul speaking. How that, point number one, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that, point number two, he was buried. And point three, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the three points of the gospel message of Jesus Christ are, he died he was buried, and he rose again. There is power in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we ought not to celebrate it only in April. There's power. There's power in the gospel. And the gospel is comprised of his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. We wouldn't have had a salvation plan in Acts without death, burial, and resurrection. This can be seen in the earthly tabernacle. The first piece of furniture, death. The second piece of furniture, burial. And the third and final step in the earthly tabernacle was where the candlestick, showbread, and altar of incense and the Ark of Covenant were found. It's power, resurrection, light of life. We see 
Three points also of the gospel message in Romans chapter 6. In verse number 1 where he says, What shall we say then? It's a question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, once we've been saved, do we just consciously keep on sinning in order to obtain His grace? Now, this is where you need, to, you need to go when you're witnessing to someone and they try to excuse themselves from continual sin. There's a difference in consciously sinning and making a mistake. There's a difference. Both require grace, both require forgiveness, but there is a difference. Verse number 2 says, this is the answer, God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin, point number one, live any longer therein. So, in other words, what is the relationship with sin? We find by Scripture that the relationship with sin is death. The Bible declares that sin, when it's finished, hear me this morning, when it's finished, because there'll be a day it's done. I can't tell you living in the world's not fun. Oh, there's a lot of joy to have. There's a lot of fun to have. But the Bible says when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. Death. Death is synonymous to separation. When someone dies, they are separated from you. Death is a separator. And when you die to sin, you are separated from sin. When you repent, and, you're, and you go through that death process, step one, you are separated from sin. So, you make a conscious choice not to live and do sinful things anymore. That's called repentance. So if you're dead to sin, how can you continue to live in sin? That's the answer to the question. If you are really dead to sin, and if you are genuinely separated from sin, then yes, God forbid, you cannot continue to live in sin. So what do you do with dead people? You bury them. Verse number 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are, point number 2, buried with Him by baptism. It's, it's a symbolic death. Into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. Newness of life is the third gospel message point right there. The newness of life. On the first day of the New Testament church, when God had saved the first souls of men that ever experienced the salvation plan, Peter got up and preached the first salvation message. We know it well. I could call on some of you this morning and you could quote it from memory. But we need to understand this morning in the midst of his preaching... The crowd responded to him. And in Acts 2 and 37, the Bible says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. 
In other words, they were convicted of their sins. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What, what must we do to be saved? Now watch the three steps of the gospel of Jesus Christ in his answer. It's buried in Acts 2.38, and we, we quote it poetically. And, 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 I, and that's okay, and I'm not criticizing that or judging it, but sometimes it's good just to slow down and dissect it a little bit because the, the poetic pomp and circumstance of quoting it can lose meaning. Then Peter said unto them, Step number one. And again, it parallels directly with the Old Testament. Repent. The first step of salvation. The first thing inside the heavenly tabernacle on your way to having your sins removed. Repentance. Separate yourself from sin. And number two, be baptized. And that's an and. That's a connector. That's a combiner. One and one. One plus. You're adding to it. And be baptized. The second step is that you must be buried. Because we, we just read the Apostle Paul declare that we are buried with him in baptism. Buried. Totally immersed. Baptized comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse or submerse. Underwater. And hopefully they don't pause that long. Down and up. Let me tell you how quick God is. Covered in muddy sin. Down in Jesus' name. Clean. Back up. New person. New person. Old man's gone. Old man's gone. Every one of you in the name, this is the, this is the formula. It's the only formula in the Bible. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. Remission means removal of sins. If you are not baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins or removal of sins, then you did not have your sins removed. Baptism will complete the forgiveness process. And you shall, step three, comparable to the resurrection, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the newness of life. That is the resurrecting power of God inside of you. The same God that gave Moses the shadow of the tabernacle. We're talking about a shadow of things to come. Maybe we should have said the shadow of things that are. The presence of God that's in the holy place will fill your life. That, brothers and sisters, is the Holy Ghost. This is what the earthly tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build pointed to. It pointed to New Testament salvation. Those 3,500 laws were about more than just their physical separation of that day. It pointed to New Testament salvation. Scripture is laced from cover to cover of connectivity, of how God never contradicts Himself. And how what we live today is directly proportionate spiritually to what they lived then. It pointed to the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the good news, and our salvation. One final point is that if you were to look down from an aerial perspective over the tabernacle, Old Testament tabernacle, the first tabernacle made with hands, Moses, 
whatever year that was in the A.D. B.C. B.C., excuse me. Whatever year that was, how many years it was before Christ. If I'd said the words, I'd got it right to start with, wouldn't I? And look down on an aerial view. The outline of the tabernacle was the outline of the cross. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, that's not a coincidence this morning. We need to understand today that God operates very intentionally. And we are talking centuries of years before anybody knew what a cross was. The cross was a mechanism of death that came from the Romans. This is before the Romans perhaps were even a people. Moses and the people of that, they didn't have a clue what a cross was. But because a man, hear me this morning, but because a man listened to the voice of God, when God said, Moses, build it, but build it to my specs. And he followed the voice and the instructions of Almighty God without the Holy Ghost. And he puts the design on physical planet earth and the, the design outlay is that of the very agent that would bring about our salvation. Now we need to stop right here and just worship him a little bit. Oh, I wish somebody would just stand to your feet right now, lift your hands to the Lord and thank him. Thank him for loving you enough Shadow of things to come. God's plan for man started way back in Old Testament days. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus. It's important today. It's important. I tie all this back to our scripture text this morning. We opened with Hebrews chapter 10. You can remain standing for just a moment. We opened with Hebrews chapter 10. where The writer says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Without wavering. In other words, when you wake up on Sunday morning and you're, you're apostolic, you better still be apostolic on Monday. And on Thursday, after a good Bible study, you're, you're, still, you're still apostolic. And on Saturday, when it's been several days since you've been to church, you haven't lost it before Sunday yet. Let us hold fast. Hold hard. Get a bulldog grip on this thing and don't let go of it. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly. What are we not forsaking? The tabernacle. Oh, God. But this is not the tabernacle made with hands. This is Jesus Christ fulfilling the law. When he, when he came and, and the Pharisees had such an issue with him, he said, I, I didn't come to, to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. We are in the presence of the tabernacle not made with hands every time we come into the Holy of Holies. This is our Ark of the Covenant experience. 
But the wonderful thing is we get to take it home with us. You get to take it to work with you. You get to take it to school with you. You get to take it to Thanksgiving dinner with your unsafe family with you. So I close with this this morning. As pastor prepares to come lead us into an altar call. Please, I beg you today, do not underestimate the importance of coming to church. Talking about church attendance, it's not a McGeeism. It's not just FAC Mount Carmelism. Because God established the church, the physical structure of the sanctuary. God established it for a purpose. That he would meet you there. And he did that thousands of years ago. This is an age-old thing of God. Well, I just don't want to come out of tradition. Well, what other reason is going to get you here? Don't underestimate the value of coming to church. It's not about seeing what color ties somebody has on or what hair bow they've got. And if you want to enjoy that, enjoy it before church and after church. But somewhere in the middle, let's meet Him. Somewhere in the middle. Not forsaking as much, so much more as you see the day approaching. And laced in the middle of all of this is our Christian duty to provoke one another to love and to good works. Which means, very simply translated, when you see your family not in the tabernacle, let them know, hey, I missed you. They just might need to be exhorted. Would you lift your hands with me right now? and just talk to the Lord. Thank Him for salvation. Thank Him for the church. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.